The following is a broadcast of Traveling on Radio, recorded Saturday, October 27, 2007. Listen to Traveling on Radio live Saturday afternoons at 1 p.m. right here on News Talk 630 WMAL. Traveling on Radio was paid for by its sponsors. The views expressed are not the views of News Talk 630 WMAL. 630 WMAL On Demand, powered by Cabinet Discounters. Cabinet Discounters has the kitchen that you're dreaming of. Visit CabinetDiscounters.com or call us at 1-800-THE-DREAM. That's 1-800-THE-DREAM. Cabinet Discounters. Cabinet Discounters. Cabinet Discounters. The following program is paid for by its sponsors, who are solely responsible for its content. Views expressed on this program are not the views of 630 WMAL. Leo Laporte, the tech guy, next to two on 630 WMAL. Traveling on radio, sponsored by Bronze World Travel, right now. Good afternoon. This is the Traveling on Radio Show. I'm Rick Fowler. The travel experts are Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we are traveling from streetcars to ski slopes today. That's right. We've got it all. Every end of this continent covered practically with today's show. And if you'd like to give us a call, you can jump in on the conversation or ask a question. It's 888-630-WMAL, 888-630-9625. We are talking travel. We always have uh, interesting destinations. We're going to head out to uh, one of the great, great ski resorts and destinations Mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, also on the show today, we'll have, of course, the latest news. We'll tackle some of the news items and uh, some people in town making news this week as well. That's right. That's right, Rick. This week on Traveling On, as you've let the audience know, we're headed to Whistler, British Columbia, certainly one of the finest ski resorts in North America and probably the world. And by 2010, when the Winter Olympics heads to Vancouver and Whistler, the rest of the world is going to know that. And here to tell us all about the fun things to see and do in Whistler is Brett Murphy, the manager of corporate and member communication for Tourism Whistler. And he'll tell you everything you need to know about uh, Whistler and the preparations for the games in 2010. Plus, we'll have some features on New Orleans and the Mountain Institute's big gala event this past week in Washington, plus traveling trivia and deals of the week. And we've got two great deals this week, uh, one to the Turks and Caicos Islands and Riviera Maya, Mexico. And you can spend four nights of serenity, sun, sea, and luxury at the Palms and the Turks and Caicos, all for a price of $1,149 per person, double occupancy, air and ground transportation included, as well as a daily breakfast. That's not a bad deal. And escape for five nights to the Royal Hideaway Play Car in Mexico secluded Riviera Maya. This, Rick, is an all-inclusive, adults-only paradise, and you can enjoy this for five nights for $1,629 per person, double occupancy, air, ground, all meals, drinks, and snacks included. Go to TravelingOn.com and look under the Traveling Deals tab for more information and follow the link to Bronze World Travel to book these and other vacations, and we'll mention these again a little later in the show. Rick is kind of laughing. You like the (laughs) all-adults. Uh, no, I was just thinking they probably won't let me in if it's adults <laughs> only. You know, kind of too bad. Aww. But uh, you guys always handpick these great destinations. Yeah, and, you know, great deals <laughs> and uh, the bargains are there and uh, all the meals, drinks, snacks included. 
Yeah, I was I was traveling this week and I went down for a breakfast buffet and in a not that great hotel. It was a fourteen ninety five for the breakfast ah. buffet. Hello, I mean it was kind <laughs> of a funky hotel. I'm like, so I'm going down to Riviera Maya there and uh, get my uh, all drinks, meals, and snacks included. Ooh, we'll send you on a reporting trip. How about yeah, that? Yeah, I would be happy to. <laughs> Well, we always like to check out the latest on the news, and uh, there were some special people in town this week, too, Tanya. Yeah, you know, this week, um, uh, as we mentioned on last weekend's show, the uh, my friend uh, Kelly Schultz, you know, my BFF from New Orleans, uh, came into town with her beads on and her prawlings, as she promised me, and uh, Ian had a chance to sit down and talk to her um, uh, just a couple of days ago just to talk about their special road show and what brought them to D.C. this week. I'm all for you, body and soul. Welcome, New Orleans, to the nation's capital, and I'm happy to be joined by Kelly Schultz of the Metropolitan New Orleans Convention and Visitors Bureau. Kelly, welcome to Washington. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. What brings New Orleans to Washington today? Well, New Orleans is on one of the stops of its Forever New Orleans tour, which is a national tour designed to showcase our culture and let people know that the city is open and ready for visitors. Now, we're in a restored streetcar, much like the, the St. Charles streetcars. Tell us a little bit about this streetcar. Well, this streetcar is part of our tour. We're taking this around the country. We've been to New York and Chicago, and now we're here in D.C. And really, the streetcar is one of the most powerful visual icons of New Orleans. And so having the streetcar on the road with us lets people see the streetcar. They can come in, register for trips, and get information. And this is beautifully restored to the 1940s quality, but it is representative of what people see in New Orleans. Today. You've taken this show on the road. You've visited New York, Chicago. What's been the response thus far from the people who've come to pay you a visit? Well, there's a lot of people that want to pay us a visit because, as you can imagine, seeing this beautiful streetcar in the middle of a New York or Chicago or D.C. is not something you see every day. So we've had a lot of interest. And, you know, New Orleans is one of those places where people love to come to the city. They have a favorite memory or an experience about New Orleans, and so they want to come in and, and talk with us and see what we're doing and, and share their stories about famous, you know, fun times they've had in New Orleans. So we've had an overwhelmingly positive response. We've had tons of visitors, tons of media coverage. It's been a really positive tour for us. Well, that, you know, uh, as, as Kelly said, we had a great time with her, and um, this uh, the, the streetcar was brought uh, to us by the Shoreline Trolley Museum, and uh, Ian had a chance to sit down with Bill Wall, the museum's curator, as well. Tell me about the role the museum has played in helping New Orleans take its message all over the country in this beautifully restored streetcar. Well, what has happened is we were just finishing up the restoration on this car that the museum has had since 1965. We worked on it the past five or six, you know, past five or six years, and just in time, literally, to have it go on tour. We were the uh, Weber Shamick Group in uh, New York had heard about this, and they were doing things with the New Orleans Convention and Visitors Bureau, and said, "Hey, would we will, would we be willing to help?" And the answer was, "Of course we would." The car had been donated to us back in 1965, and helping out in return seemed to be the really good thing to do. So. Obviously, we agreed, and we've had the car here and in Times Square, New York, and in uh, Michigan Avenue, Chicago. 
it's enjoying a pretty interesting second life as a uh, as a traveling streetcar, isn't it? Yes, it is. You might say it's still in transit, even though it uh, and it's kind of nice to have it out helping its home hometown after all these years. Now, tell us a little bit about the museum and what its role. And it sounds like it's an it's a great attraction for those who uh, want to come and visit. Yeah, yes, it is actually the car. The museum was founded in 1945 by a number of people who realized that streetcars in the United States are pretty much becoming extinct. And so far, the museum has acquired about 100 different cars. We run them on a line that's a mile and a half long. It's an actual streetcar line that was uh, being abandoned in the New Haven area. And uh, we have about 1,000 members or so. And we're open to the public to give them a chance to get an experience of what it's like to be on a streetcar. And it's funny, now we're winding up being a sort of a source for knowledge for cities that are bringing streetcars back. Well, Ian, Tanya, not only do you report the news, but you're chasing it down all over town right. these days. Call us the news hawks. <laughs> <laughs> Our man on the streets, Ian Fitzpatrick. Well, you also were at the Mountain Institute, Gayla, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, about 35 years ago, the D.C.-based Mountain Institute set out to protect mountains and mountain people and culture all over the world. And uh, traveling on radio, I uh, had a chance to speak with the Mountain Institute's president and CEO, Bob Davis. Davis at their annual awards dinner at the Mandarin Oriental, uh, which in- incidentally uh, served a beautiful meal. Um, <laughs> I don't get sent to the Mandarin Oriental. We'll, we'll do that. Stories. We'll do that next time. I'm so sorry. This is a last minute, you know, spontaneous uh, yeah, I, event. I see the, but, I see uh, the street beat you guys. Do. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> you know, Rick was in uh, Detroit this week, so I, I think he's just a little jealous of us. Uh, you know, having had such a good time. Yeah, in a crummy that. hotel with a fourteen ninety five <laughs> buffet breakfast of dried sausage and powdered uh, eggs. Oh, woe is me. Yeah, well, enjoy the Mandarin, okay? Yeah, but uh, <laughs> Ian had a chance to sit down with the uh, with the president of the uh, Mountain Institute uh, just to share a little bit about the uh, the dinner, the honorees, and sustainable tourism. Why are we gathered here in Washington tonight for the Mountain Institute? Well, this is an annual event for us. It's our annual gala dinner. We, uh, the Mountain Institute, as the name would suggest, is an organization, a nonprofit organization that focuses on mountains around the world, globally, really, and on the particular issues of mountain communities, mountain cultures, mountain environments around the world. Tonight, we're gathered here to honor three people, three mountain heroes, we call them, from around the world. Uh, one from the Andes, who um, I think has a particular interest uh, to your uh, to your audience, um, because she has really revitalized uh, the textile industry in the Andes and some of the most intricate textiles, um, and for which there is a growing market uh, amongst travelers that uh, go to the Andes. So um, we'll be honoring Nilda tonight for her work. Uh, uh, amongst um, Andean uh, Quechua communities in textiles. So particular interest there. A couple of our other awardees this evening, Greg Mortensen, who's uh, recently written a very interesting book called Three Cups of Tea about his experience among mountain communities in Central Asia, uh, particularly in Pakistan and Afghanistan. So we're honoring Greg's work. 
those areas are uh, maybe not ones that are uh, uh, of uh, particular interest to uh, the folks that listen to your show, but um, there is, um, in, in terms of the mountain world, it's a very, Central Asia is a very important part of the world. And then finally, North Face is one of our awardees for their corporate social responsibility. And they've really stepped up to the plate, and we'll see this evening what they've been doing in terms of helping mountain communities through a lot of the climbers that North Face promotes. So we're here to recognize people who have made a difference in mountain areas, recognize communities that have made a difference, and, and really just celebrate mountains. That's what tonight's about. Now, one of the things that's so important at this point in uh, our development uh, as as a, as a society and civilization is the whole notion of sustainable tourism, and I'm sure the Mountain Institute has gotten several initiatives in that area. Can you speak to some of those things that you're doing to help promote responsible tourism in mountain areas around the world? Absolutely. We've got a number of great projects in that area. The one that comes to mind and that I've seen most recently is... Um, uh, a project uh, in along the Inca Road in Peru with a series of small communities there that are interested in tourism, but they want to get into tourism in a very manageable way, in a way that helps sustain them both economically and culturally too. Um, but they interact with the communities and talk to them, understand their needs, and in some cases develop a joint project or a joint initiative together. So it's really exciting uh, work for us. Of course, we're very interested and concerned about the environmental impacts of tourism as well. This is the Traveling on Radio Show on 630 WMAL, and from the mountains to Motown, we cover it all right here, don't we? <laughs> I was in your hometown this past week. Oh, man. Now, see, I'm a little jealous. Oh, we had a good time. We went to the Motown Museum. I mean, I'm not going to hotel. Hotel's one thing, but the Motown Museum was so much fun, and it just it, it put everything into perspective, and so mm-hmm. many the things, you know, you wondered why this was this way, how mm-hmm. Motown got its name. Of course, mm-hmm. the Motortown. Absolutely. Barry Gordy shut, shortened the name down to Motown from Motortown. Right. And the story behind all the record labels and the and just the way it all came up That's from right. nothing. This guy's garage. I know. On Grand Boulevard. The museum is in its original state. It's not one of it's these the recreating USA. kind of things. The mm-hmm. original candy machine is there. Tell us the about cigar- the candy machine. Well, the candy machine's a kick. That, you know, it's a simple silly little old candy machine but they said the guy that ran the vending machines when he would come in to reload it they would say you can put anything you want in any of the of the slots except number four always keep that baby ruse and, and somebody said why is that because that's the one stevie wonder gets his favorite candy Aww. bar the baby <laughs> ruse so he could count for the fourth one you know, because he was blind, yeah, he was yeah. able to count to the full. But little odds and ends, it just kind of, you know, it might not appeal to everybody, but for me, I just thought it was cool because so many of us grew up on the Motown sound mm-hmm. and the story and mm-hmm. how it all came about. This it's, guy's garage. It's a great piece of Americana. Oh, yeah. The air conditioning was too loud, so when they were going to roll the tape, they had to shut the air conditioning off oh. in the summer in Detroit. <laughs> Ow. Yeah, hello. <laughs> I know what that's like. <laughs> but uh, if you ever make it to Detroit, definitely want to do that. And there's a Henry Ford Transportation Museum we did didn't that's get right. to in Dearborn. But oh. That's right. Truly one of the finest museums in America. Mm-hmm. If you want to see er- anything about how America came to be, you go to the Henry Ford Museum. It's truly fantastic. Well, another truly wonderful place in the world is Whistler. I have heard so much about it from you and from other people who have been skiing there. Mm-hmm. We're going to hear all about it. 
Traveling on radio show, it's 24 minutes after 1, Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. The pros, you can reach them during the week at the website, travelnon.com. That's travelnon.com. And we are going to go to one of the just absolute premier ski ski resorts. And uh, so many people I've talked to, you know, when you talk skiing, Whistler is just at the top. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And, and, and we're going to ask um, our guest about the best time to go ski there. But... Whistler is actually more than just a ski resort. I mean, it's a year-round uh, resort, and we're going to talk about that uh, with uh, with our guest today. And you know, Whistler, with with over nine thousand residents, settled uh, or nestled in a valley between two mountains. Uh, Whistler welcomes more than two million visitors each year. Imagine that poor town being inundated with so many people. Um, but the people come there for skiing, golf, wilderness, rainforest, and every imaginable. In, uh, adventure, including a zipline tour, which uh, Ian and I did, and here to tell us what we're missing in North America's uh, premier ski destination and host of the Alpine and Nordic events for the 2010 Winter Olympics is Brett Murphy, manager of corporate and member uh, communications with Tourism Whistler. Brett, welcome to Traveling On. Absolute pleasure. Well, glad to have you. Now, um, you know, as, as, as we just mentioned, Ian and I were just there, um, golly, about three weeks ago. And um, when we were there, you know, it, it wasn't too cold, but the, the mountains that were peaked or capped with, with snow. Um, but we had, there were mountain bikers out using the gondolas and uh, racing down the mountains in, in their in their bikes. Um what what's uh, that just goes to show that you know Whistler is an all year round destination, isn't it? Absolutely, it's interesting when we when we think back to the history of the resort. Um, we're talking in the early 1900s. There was actually a, an American couple who came up here and set set up a, uh, a a fly fishing and hunting lodge here. So we started as a as a summertime resort, mm-hmm. and ever since then we've been we've been evolving. So there's really not what a lot of resorts call a shoulder season because there's always something to do here. And Whistler actually has only, it was developed, what, about 40 years ago? Yeah, we, we were established as a, the first resort municipality in Canada in about 75, and, uh, and then we've been, we've been open with both mountains since the 80s. So we're a relatively young community when you think about it, mm-hmm. but, uh, but the development of the community has been, has been planned. And as you say, we, we receive over 2 million visitors a year, but because of the planning around how the resort was designed and developed, uh, we're able to, uh, to not only welcome those visitors, but they have uh, plenty of places to stay and lots of things to do. Brett, uh, this is Ian here. How are you today? I'm absolutely fantastic. I walked in today and looked up at the the top of the mountains. It's about two degrees here, and uh, <laughs> we've got uh, the snow is falling and gathering on the on the peaks, and we're getting ready to uh, you know uh, welcome the world here for another great uh, ski season. Wow! Now, if uh, you had to crystallize it for our audience here in Washington, what is it that makes Whistler special? It is a planned community, and everything is immaculate about it, but there's just something about it, uh, just the way that it mixes with nature and the mountains that really makes it uh, breathtaking for those who uh, come there and take it all in. Well, it's interesting. I think, you know, there, there are a lot of places, and like people, um, you know, you can be blessed with uh, natural gifts and 
I think uh, what really separates Whistler from a lot of places around the world is is what Mother Nature provided for us. So we have these these two massive mountains, uh, and at the base of those mountains we've got what we've developed as a pedestrian village, but with over five lakes in the area and four um, four uh, championship golf courses, um, we've really been able to. Uh, provide a sense of of unending options, and I think what it boils down to, you, you hit on it. It's it's really, I think, a a passion that the people who choose to live here have, and everyone um, from somebody who might be serving you a coffee in the morning to the person who might be uh, slipping a, a, a chair under your butt as you go up the uh, mountain. Um, it's it's absolutely. Uh, it's absolutely breathtaking to see that kind of passion from the people who live here, and we want to share it with other folks. So it's really an energy that that just completely emanates from this place year-round. Mm, indeed. And, um, Rhett, talk a little bit about the, the mountains, uh, Black Home and Whistler, that it's uh, that the, the town is uh, nestled between. Right. Well, we've got, again, these, these twin mountains. And, and if I step back in time a bit, when we think back... This town originally started as, and it was called London uh, Town because of Whistler Mountain, which was at the time called London Mountain. But as the settlers started to gather in greater numbers, um, there became sort of a, a, an insider's term for the place, and they called it Whistler because of an, indig- an indigenous, uh, what's called a hoary marmot, uh, in the in the mountaintops, and they make this very high, shrill sound when they're when they're kind of barking and it sounds like a whistle so the people started calling the place Whistler and back in the 60s a couple businessmen from Vancouver said wow look at that mountain that's the perfect venue for an Olympics and they started to develop the mountain and put in a a chairlift and uh, they were gunning for um, the 68 Olympics they were unsuccessful in the bid but what it did is it started a pardon the term a snowball effect uh, in in our ultimate quest for the 2010 Olympics and when we looked at those two mountains as uh, I think an early resort there was an understanding that there's a ton of terrain here and a lot of opportunity so they eventually started evolving and building more capacity to take skiers up and now we have over 200 trails across both mountains Um, we've got when we think about the um, the um, the height of the mountains in terms of vertical we've got over 5,000 feet and that gives us approximately a mile of vertical which is the most in North America and uh, some of the the most skiable terrain in the world with over 8,000 acres. Brett we're going to hear a lot more about the Olympics coming up and the great skiing and year-round activities. 137 traveling on radio show for Saturday afternoon. I'm Rick Fowler, the travel experts T uh T Tian. Tian. It's the uh it's the new Kind of like approach uh, Benifer, right? Uh, you know, I'm yeah. flipping a coin to see who goes first this time. What do I do? I put you right both at the top. <laughs> Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick are the experts with <laughs> Bronze World Travel, and you can find them during the week at the Travel On website. That's TravelN-On.com, TravelN-On.com for Travel On, and they can tell you uh, 
great ideas about going to Whistler, the things to do out there because they have been. And uh, Brett's with us, the, uh, the the master of Whistler, and we're talking about the <laughs> 2010, the Olympics coming in, and ski resorts and year-round activities there. Yeah, there is so much great stuff in Whistler, and one of the one of the things that I think makes Whistler special are these two mountains, Whistler Mountain and Blackcomb Mountain. Brett, tell us a little bit about these special mountains. Well, the thing that really sets them apart, I believe, is is their accessibility now because of what we've been able to do. Um, with over 8,000 uh, acres of skiable terrain, you'd think that that would be uh, enough, but people are always looking for that uh, that special powder, uh, the the kind of skiing that you can only reach by by slapping on what they call skins on your on the bottoms of your skis and then trekking up and touring to the tops of of edges and and peaks in the area, and that's been known as backcountry skiing for years. And mm-hmm. and last year, uh, Whistler Blackcomb that operates the mountains decided uh, there was a, a, a niche there and there was an opportunity, a demand to access that snow. So they opened up what's called the Symphony Express, which is a high-speed quad that brings people up to the top of, uh, of Flute Peak, which, again, they used to, to slap on the skins to, to climb up and access. And now there's over 1,000 uh, acres of accessible, what they call inbounds, backcountry experience. Mm. Wow. And it's... it's it's access to that kind of terrain that I think really sets us apart. And because of our, our temperate climate, um, we can again enjoy you know five degree or five degrees in the in the bottom in the base of the of the mountain in the winter time. Sometimes it seems too mild to to perhaps ski, but then you climb up that vertical mile in the gondola, mm. and the next thing you know, you're in the middle of uh, winter wonderland up there. Hey, Brett, you know, I haven't skied in a few years, and I was looking for bunny hills when I was there. You know, for those of us who need to get our ski ski legs back, I didn't see any. Are are, are there bunny hills? Again, the, the beauty of it is that we've uh, we've provided what we call a green and blue runs okay. for beginner and intermediate skiers uh, throughout the train. So a beginner skier can actually get on the gondola, mm-hmm. go to the very top of the mountain, and access beginner level runs from the very top and and then i i noticed some moguls i mean the the bikers were going over moguls um uh, which which was amazing i'd love to have you talk a little bit more about uh um you know about that activity but the moguls were those uh, those considered red runs or black well we've got in terms of uh in terms of the uh the the different zones we've got again um the green and the blue and the black runs and the black is is definitely uh, indicated for more advanced or expert skiers. And then within the black runs, we'll have maybe single diamond, double diamond, or mm-hmm. even triple diamond. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, those folks, I've been skiing myself since I was five. Um, but my my joy in keeping my knees attached to my own body <laughs> makes me think that at times it's probably not best to uh, to attack the the triple diamonds uh, with any regularity <laughs> and again the beauty of it is is you could find yourself in an area and say oh okay well maybe I'm maybe I'm in an area that's uh, approaching a black run and I'm really not interested in going down there and taking mm-hmm. chances there's always access to uh, to a blue run to allow you to get back to areas that are you're more comfortable with. Oh, excellent. excellent. Well, I'm sold. I'm ready to go. <laughs> now, Brett, uh, next year you've got a pretty exciting attraction that's going to link the two peaks of Blackcomb and Whistler Mountain. Could you tell us about that? 
Absolutely. The the peak-to-peak gondola uh, is really a bit of a, a an engineering feat. Uh, there will be 28 sky cabins that will travel uh, about four and a half kilometers between the peaks of Whistler and Blackcomb Mountains. What's that altitude above ground that they'll be hovering over? Well, we've got um, we've got it, with this longest the, the the span itself again is is is. Uh, is the longest of its kind. So the the free the freestanding between between both peaks is over three kilometers, and it's more than 400 meters above the valley floor. Wow. So that's 1,300 feet above the Fitzsimmons Creek that runs between both mountains. I used to so, fly airplanes at lower altitudes. <laughs> than <that. laughs> and and the interesting thing is they're they're also uh, offering um, glass bottomed. Uh, sky cabin, oh. but the beauty is you don't have to get in one of those. It's going to be like at one every four or five cabins. So if you're not really interested in looking down, uh, you can you can opt for the ones with the fully covered floors. How about ones with no windows? <laughs> you can always close your eyes, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's got to be cool, man. The kids are going to love that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Whistler, you know, I, I think a lot of people will be surprised um, that Whistler actually is has a rainforest above absolutely. the town. And uh, we actually did, you know, a zipline tour through through the forest. I think we we went over Fitzsimmons um, Creek uh, at a pretty fast uh, rate, <laughs> and have the photographs to to prove it. But uh, talk a little bit about the uh, the rainforest itself and uh, ecotourism uh, in in Whistler and some of the activities that we can do up there. Absolutely, uh, sustainability and uh, a commitment to protecting our environment has definitely been a part of our our history from the very early days and uh, and when we look at again how we've been blessed with the the d- diversity of environment that we have um, we've got a pristine intact ancient coastal temperate rainforest uh, in the valley between Whistler and Blackcomb mountains and this is actually some of the rarest forest on earth um, when we think back in time uh, for about two million years during the last ice age, Whistler mm. was underneath two kilometers of ice. And that basically would have meant the very tips of Whistler and Blackcomb would have been barely visible from the tips of that. And, and, and at their peak, the coastal rainforests were found on every continent except Africa and Antarctica. But now there's only about a fifth of uh, the extremely rare forests uh, existing. And a lot of that is here, uh, also in Washington, Oregon, and California. And so what we want to do is make sure that we're, we're educating folks about the importance of that biodiversity and providing them with a glimpse of just how beautiful and pristine these forests are. So, so activities like zip lining allow people to attach themselves to, to guidelines and literally fly above the valley floor and, and look at these, these beautiful trees and the exceptional diversity that we have here. This is the Traveling On Radio Show on 630 WMAL, and uh, we're, we're taking you kind of around the world this weekend, and Brett Murphy is the manager of corporate and member communication for Tourism Whistler, British Columbia. And uh, real quick, just a, a geography uh, pinpoint for us, if we have the GPS, where are you located in relation to, say, Seattle? In, uh, compared to Seattle, if you go north, and it's a very short drive, if you were to hop in your car, you could be... Uh, from downtown Seattle to uh, to Whistler in about four hours. 
Okay. Now, uh, hey, Brett, when we were there, we saw the, um, just kind of backtracking a little bit, you know, mentioned that the 2010 Winter Olympics are coming uh, to your neck of the wood, and um, we actually saw the completed bobsled and luge course. Um, How is preparation coming along at this point for those venues, and will the town really be able to accommodate all those visitors? I think you're expecting, what, uh, 20, well, quite a few. Yes, yeah. Uh, at at any, uh, any given day during the Olympics, the number of visitors expected will be 17,000. So 17,000 each day uh, of, of visitors specifically related to the Olympics are expected here. Now, again, not all of them will be necessarily staying overnight here. Mm-hmm. Some of them will be going back down to our, to our, coast, our, our co-host to Vancouver. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're sharing these Olympics, and, and basically half the events will be held up here in Whistler and half in Vancouver, attached, of course, by the uh, newly upgraded and improved Sea to Sky Highway. Um, but in terms of, uh, of venue preparations, we're well on our way. In fact, I took a, a tour of the venues um, just a few days ago, and uh, the progress is, is staggering. The, the sliding center, which is about a, a $100 million project, will be complete this year, and they'll be doing some testing um, this winter, and then it will be available for actual test events mm. uh, next winter. Um, we've also got what they call the Nordic venue, which is just a few kilometers uh, south of the core of our village, and that's where we'll have um, cross-country and biathlon and the ski jump. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, about a $120 million project. We're actually going to have cross-country trails available to visitors this year, and, uh, and the test events will again begin next winter. Okay, and you're you're also hosting the Paralympics there too, correct? Absolutely, mm-hmm. we're 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 thrilled because we we're going to be hosting uh, the vast majority of the Paralympic events here in in Whistler itself. So we'll have um, a lot of the events that will be occurring for the Olympics, such as the the alpine skiing and the cross country skiing, are also Paralympic events, mm-hmm. and we'll be using the venues that we're developing for the Winter Games for both the Olympics and the Paralympics. Mm, okay. This is the Traveling On Radio Show on 630 WMAL. And coming up, we've got travel and trivia, we've got more on Whistler, and we've got the deals of the week all on the way on the Traveling On Radio Show on 630 WMAL. You can reach Ian and Tanya during the week at the website, travelnon.com. That's traveln-on.com. 153, this is the Traveling On Radio Show on 630 WMAL. And after I spend about 45, 50 minutes with Ian and Tanya, Every week, I'm ready to get on the plane again and go. I'm ready to travel. <laughs> well, and some of the deals that you guys come up with, these amazing packages. Yeah, that's right. This week, Rick, if uh, if uh, you're ready to book it, the Turks and Caicos Island and Riviera Maya, Mexico, await. Four nights of serenity, sun, sea, and luxury at the Palms in the Turks and Caicos, all for a price of $1,149 per person, double occupancy, air and ground transportation, and a daily breakfast included, and escape for five nights to the Royal Hideaway play car in Mexico secluded Riviera Maya. This all-inclusive can be yours for $1,629 per person, double occupancy, air, ground, all meals, drinks, and snacks included. Go to TravelingOn.com and look under the Traveling Deals tab for more information and follow the link to Bronze World Travel to book these and other vacation packages. 
Sounds good to me. And, you know, Brett, we can't let you go without talking about two of my favorite topics, food and wine. <laughs> and the restaurants in Whistler Village are phenomenal. Um, and, and you know, and after a long day, we also have, uh, you also have spas. Tell us a little bit about those activities. Well, it's interesting you mentioned food and wine because um, we have a, an annual uh, festival each year called Cornucopia. And that's uh, just around the corner, in fact, uh, about two weeks away. And uh, basically, uh, given the expansive choice we have here among some award-winning restaurants, some exceptional uh, hosts of, of, of wines and connections that they have with BC wineries, Washington wineries, and wineries around the world, we like to highlight and showcase uh, all that we can have to offer in terms of the gastronomic uh, side of things. So. The, the, when we look at the, the restaurants themselves, we've got over, over 90 restaurants and bars in, in the resort, and uh, it's a real variety. You can get everything from you know, your fish and chips and your, your hot dog and hamburger at the base of the mountain to uh, five-course meals paired with uh, exceptional wines. And the, the opportunity for us to, as we, we call it here, dine and unwind, is exceptional because you can indulge in, a, in exceptional meals and and then also step out of the restaurant and decide, you know what, I think I'm going to go for a spa or I'm going to go for a massage. And, mm-hmm. and uh, the spas we have here, when we look at some of them, they, they really focus, again, on the local. So a lot of them are using uh, ingredients and, uh, and uh, materials that are drawn from the community, whether that be lichen from the trees or uh, soils from the area and herbs as well as flowers. So we're really able to draw from, again, our natural environment to express it in ways that go beyond just sightseeing. Brett, in our final minute with you, part of Unwinding in Whistler, you've got these great heated steam pools. Tell us about those because it's it's an extraordinary experience in the dead of winter. Absolutely. Well, again, the, the, the temperate climate here usually means that, uh, you know, the average temperature in the winter might be, say, minus, between minus 5 and minus 10 in the village. And that's just the perfect temperature when you're coming off of the, uh, the, a day on the hills or a day snowmobiling or a day snowshoeing or cross-country skiing or, or glacier hiking and decide that you're going to give yourself a soak. A lot of the uh, a lot of the condos that um, that line the sides of the mountain, as well as the hotels, have outdoor heated pools and hot tubs. And definitely a favorite pastime is is sitting in these hot tubs after a long day and enjoying what what they call an après ski soak in the in the in the temperature and just looking up at the mountains. And when we have a full moon and you're sitting there with your Chardonnay or your favorite uh, lager. And there really isn't nothing that can beat it. <laughs> You're speaking our language, Brett. Thank you so much for joining us today and uh, for sharing uh, sharing the joys of Whistler with our with our listening audience and for uh, piquing Rick's interest in, in uh, traveling. <laughs> uh, no, I'd heard about it from friends who'd been skiing out there, and yeah. I'm like, whoa, I'm convinced now. Yeah. Well, this is the Traveling On Radio Show. We're here every Saturday from 1 until 2 o'clock, and you can reach Ian and Tanya during the week and send them an email if you'd like more information on Whistler or any of the travel packages they've talked about or anything on travel in general. It's radio at travelandon.com. That's travelandon.com. Radio at travelandon.com. Thank you for joining us. Uh, do reach out to them during the week. They can help you come up with some great adventure vacations, uh, eco vacations, you name it, they got it. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next Saturday. Happy travels.